You're listening to Bedroom Beethoven's, where notable music makers break down stories accompanied by songs and melodies documenting growth through their 10,000-hour journey. And me? Well, my name is Cello, your host. Before you check out this episode of Bedroom Beethoven's, hi, I'm Eddie, and my podcast, The Motion, is about the intriguing world of copyright lawsuits, music history, and entertainment law. Have you ever wondered about what happened with the Blurred Lines lawsuit and how Marvin Gaye's estate won that case against Robin Thicke and Pharrell? Or what's going on with Taylor Swift's rights to her songs masters from Scooter Braun? How much do artists actually earn from streaming platforms? On this show, we'll be taking a closer look at those topics and the entertainment industry. We'll find out how the outcomes of trials and settlements can modify laws and standards and how those changes could affect the future for artists and audiences alike. We'll also get into definitions of legal terms, delve into details of record deals, and a lot more. If you enjoy going behind the scenes of entertainment lawsuits and pop culture, listen and subscribe to The Motion wherever you get your podcasts. And let me tell you a story about copyright. I am a bedroom... Beethoven. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 70 of the podcast. My guest this week is... Hi, I'm Chai, and I'm a producer and rapper from New Zealand. Done a lot of live performances, and I've shared the stage. Oh, my God. <laughs> trying to think. Oh, my God, you've put me on the spot. <laughs> Bilingual MC Chai swings by the podcast this week and brings with her a peek into the diverse worlds of hip-hop and her Persian roots under one banner. We chat about her new single, Digabase, and how it showcases her talents as a producer, director, and kicking fiery verses as an MC as she bounces between English lyrics and Farsi. At the end of this episode, I hope we all have a better vision on how her music serves as a hope for change, a journey to freedom, and a statement of joy. Nonetheless, it is an unquestionable victory in the name of progress. Before we get to it, though, I urge everyone to hit up BedroomBeethoven's.com, the hub for all the content that spiderwebs into the world of social media. That's right, the Instagram, YouTube, and more. Username is BedroomBeethoven's, pretty easy to find. Twitter is BedroomBeatPod, that's Bedroom, B-E-E-T-P-O-D. And most importantly, Patreon.com slash BedroomBeethoven's to support this content creator. Yep. Me, the one who does this podcast, direct this week from New Zealand, so Kiwis rejoice, Bedroom Beethoven's is here. Episode 70, Chai and Cello. Let's get this conversation moving. I'm like trying to go through all the gigs in my head. I was excited because you, you were only going to be 30 minutes away from me uh, uh, last month, but for the first time in 34 years, they shut down South by Southwest. I know it's crazy. 
I was really looking forward to it. Um, but, you know, she's happened. Do you live in Texas? I live in, right in the city where they put that festival on. So, uh, yeah, I was, I was bummed. Oh. Yeah, we're, we're in crazy times. But, you know, at the time of this interview, there is there's 120,000 COVID-19 deaths and New Zealand only has five. So whatever you guys are doing, keep it up. It's crazy. Yeah, it's very strict here. We've been in quarantine for two and a half weeks, but to very strict measures. So it's, you know, no food shops are open. It's just supermarkets and emergency um, things are open. Yeah, the U.S. is it's the blind is leading the blind How here. So feeling? It must uh, be pretty crazy. It's not as strict, and I'm I'm thinking it probably should be more strict. Like all the restaurants are, you can still get your food there. It's just it's takeout. You can't dine in, yeah. and uh, you can still go to Walmart or you know big grocery chains. People just yeah. think you know if you have a, a a medical mask on, you're you're bulletproof. But you know the numbers don't lie, <laughs> and you know I, I was kind of bummed be- yeah. that you couldn't go to South by Southwest because it seems like it's the perfect place I could imagine for you to perform because the festival encompasses film, music, and art, and you have a background in film and visual arts. Yes, I was really looking forward to um, seeing all the other elements of South by, like you said, the the visual side and the. All the technology side as well like and also i think we had about six shows lined up for that week which i was really really looking forward to um and just meeting everyone and connecting with people that we've been talking over email with and just seeing people face to face they're saying that uh fall 2021 is when concerts are going to resume that's what they're saying fall so what month is that for you guys uh that would be we're looking at august september 2021 Okay, that's not too bad. Oh, yeah, I, well, I think you're taking it better than a lot of people. I don't know. It, it, it all depends on how much a musician depends on their on touring for their revenue. Uh, you know, if you've set yeah. set your career up differently, then maybe it doesn't hurt as bad as other people. Yeah, I guess we were at that point of just, um, you know, it was the beginning of going overseas and doing a lot of tours for us. You know, we're planning to do. We actually booked for Europe this year as well, and US. So we're going to do a full US tour we would have come back now from it. So, I mean, I guess we weren't in it when it happened. So we still haven't really dived into that kind of overseas touring as much yet, which um, I like to see it as, you know, it just gives us more time to work on a bigger set and putting on a better show. I like that because you're, you're definitely a creative type. And, and, you know, I saw a video of your brother as a six-year-old dancing the hip-hop and singing Akon, so I know it's in in the genes, you know? <laughs> You've deep-dived. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know you're a TV presenter with Triangle Television. I even know your birthday's in July. <laughs> oh, my God. You're crazy. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I got Jasmine's awesome. But I know your your idea of art is it should comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. You're You're spreading a message and combating a lot of things in the world, whether it's people struggling with identity or terrorism or general empowerment, you know, to give people a voice. Yeah, exactly. Like I just, you know, I like to see music as, I mean, the older I've gotten, I've seen music as more of a, I kind of wanted to keep it quite light because the older you get, the heavier everything else gets in in your life. And the more, I guess you want to make light hearted music. I don't know if that makes a lot of sense, but, um, so I just, yeah, I just like to make kind of quite upbeat music and still address certain issues, but 
keep it fun and keep it, I guess, accessible and, and to a wider audience. But I just love creating and love making art, I guess. And it's, yeah, it's been, it's been fun. Been a crazy time right now, so I don't know what the music is going to be like coming out of this time. <laughs> Were you ever worried about rocking the boat? Because I, I see a lot of comparisons between you and MIA, and the U.S. government has repeatedly denied her a work visa to record or perform in America, or even her Interscope records was fraught with delays, rejections, and misunderstandings. Really? I didn't actually know that, but um, I feel like we're in a quite a different time now. And I feel like, I mean, so far for me, the journey in that sense, the journey has been quite smooth and um, touch wood. <laughs> it's been quite um, good in that sense. Um, and, and being compared to her, I take that as a compliment. She was really one of the artists that opened up my eyes to bringing your culture into your music. Like you don't have to do, you don't have, she kind of opened up my eyes to you don't have to imitate you know, and you can kind of create your own music through your identity and through finding yourself. It wasn't that long ago, though. I mean, do you really think the the industry has come a long way? Because you still can't perform in your birthplace because rap is illegal there. Well, yeah. I mean, that's a different story. I feel like, I feel like, yeah, my uh, Iran is kind of just moving really slow in that sense. But in terms of the music industry in general, I feel like everything's rapidly moving and and a lot of things are getting better um a lot of things are getting easier people people's um minds have opened a lot more so in that sense it's good but yeah iran's a different story they might slowly get better but at the moment you know yeah i couldn't i can't go and do a solo show there so i could do a show as part of an orchestra or as part of a a group but you have to check your material that you're performing before you can perform it and I don't, yeah, I don't like that because it doesn't give you that freedom of um, speech and freedom of art, I guess. What do, you, what do you remember about being a little girl in Iran? I loved my childhood, to be honest. It was so, um, I remember quite a bit. Um, it was just really, yeah, really fun. Like I used to, this is pre-technology days or like pre, you know, internet. So you know, we would go out and play football in the streets and bike around. And, um, yeah, we lived in a, my grandma lives in a smaller town and we used to go there all the time, go to the river. And it was very, you know, that kind of farm life a little bit as well as city life. I had them both for the first eight years of my life. And, um, a lot of music takes me back to that time when I listen to, um, traditional Persian music, which is kind of fun. <laughs> So when they were like, we're moving, you were probably sad that day. You didn't want to move. I No, I was too young, I feel. I just was like, okay. I kind of have <laughs> to easily adjust, I easily adjust to things, I feel. And that makes a lot more sense because I, I, I thought back as well and I was like, why was I, why did I, didn't I question anything? Like, I just was like, okay, cool. Let's pack our stuff and go. It was much easier for me, I guess, than for my siblings who are older. But yeah, I kind of, I like the change. I like. Yeah, I like to see the world, so <laughs> it was good for me. <laughs> so when you go to New Zealand, that's when the rap culture kind of like really takes hold because it helped you to kind of learn English there. And it must be jarring because at that time, Eminem is telling you to stick nine-inch nails in your eyelids. You imagine literally what that could mean, but then you figuratively have to know 
that as you're learning English, it's based on double entendres and and rhymes. So that must have been hard. That's not a traditional way to learn English. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I joke about it. I mean, it was partly true that I did learn a lot of my English through rap music. It was funny because I didn't understand the words he was saying. I only understood the rhythm and the. I was kind of just copying. So at that age, I'm like rapping these really explicit lyrics that I didn't know what what it was saying. But um, for me, it was the feeling in in it. Like I, I actually felt the, I don't know, rap had a lot of expression, regardless if you can understand it. Even now, if I listen to French rap, I can still feel it. Like, and I don't know, like, I don't know if everyone else feels the same way, but um, yeah, it's, it's based on emotion and, and yeah, that's what I love about it. Did, did Savage have an influence on you? I love Savage. He's awesome. We actually did a show with him recently. Uh, I remember when Swing came out. That was it was crazy. Yeah, it was so awesome. Um, yeah, I got to meet him like two months ago or a couple months ago when we did a, a show down in Dunedin, uh, one of the cities in um, New Zealand. And um, now he's so awesome. So he would have when he released Swing, I must have been quite young as well. That was a really good eye opener to see that new musicians from New Zealand can become international and get their voice heard outside of New Zealand. Yeah, who's who's still active from that era? Is uh, was like Lady Six and MC Tolly and Scribe and David Dallas? Are they still active? They're all still active. Yeah. Um. I mean, I haven't heard much new music from Scribe, but Lady Six, um, David Dallas, um, is definitely working still on music. Yeah, all those guys are still doing it. New Zealand's answer to Erica Badu was Lady Six, and then. You get compared in the states. You get compared to MIA, but I compare you to MC Tolly because when she started, she created electronic soul meets gangster jazz music. She wanted to create a genre that nobody was doing, yeah. which is kind of similar to your motives as well. It's it's very hard because when you when you're trying to get your head around like you know emotionally you know what you're trying to make, but when you're blending two genres or two different cultures or two whatevers together, it's quite um, it takes quite a quite a while to get past the different stages of making it happen. For me, it was quite organic, but at the same time, it took about maybe four years of me not releasing anything and just sitting on it and making the music. For, for that blend of Persian music with hip-hop because I didn't want it to be cheesy. Like, I just didn't want it to seem like I've forced it together. So it takes a, a long time of just trying to make it work, but definitely a good comparison there, yeah. Yeah, so you see all those people. I mean, you're you grow up and you moved all over. Was it difficult trying to find your identity? Definitely. I feel like you go through different stages of your life, and you, I guess the at one point, you know, you become. I consider myself as equally Kiwi, well, New Zealander, and Iranian, but there's different stages of your life 
in the past maybe five or six years, I started to really embrace my Iranian side a lot more. But I feel like it's just been kind of every time you move into a new place, you're kind of learning it, you're you're influenced by it. So I feel like it is it's just now that I've got that balance of the two worlds together. Yeah, I imagine as you were kind of figuring that out, like in my mind, it was just like, you know, as a little girl, you're writing all this poetry. And I imagine your parents are cleaning your room and find all the writings under your bed. And she's treating it like she found drugs in your room. Like, what's this? What are all these feelings on paper and rhyming words? Um, my parents were actually really supportive. Like they, since a young age, I was always into drawing and paint. I was, they always knew I was going to be a creative um, and they were fully supportive of it. Um, when I first started drawing, they would, you know, get me to enter these competitions and I was about six years old, I think. Um, so they could, or, they already knew I was heading down that path and they were very supportive. Uh, when I was writing, I guess they saw it as a positive thing. They're like, Oh great. She's, Fast-forwarding learning English there, like, you know, embracing herself in the <laughs> in the language. So as a grown woman and, and sharing your creativity with the world, you can be vulnerable because now people are able to criticize, enjoy, celebrate, you know, all of the above. Do you have a firm grasp on your identity now? Like, it's <laughs> like you're releasing music that I feel like you're finally wanting to release and you have a firm grasp on everything. Definitely. I had a moment where everything just clicked and that would be when I first released Digabasa, Digabasa was one of the first songs of that time of everything just clicking for me, which was three years ago. I do, yeah, I do feel like I know my identity now. I mean, you're, co- you're constantly, you know, learning more and learning about yourself. But I do feel like now is kind of got moving forward from here. I definitely know what I kind of want to talk about. I've got thick skin, you know, anyone could say whatever about the music, that's not an issue. Like I'm not going to change my music based off how people, you know, what people want, you know? So, um, I mean, I care about, you know, <laughs> care about the, the way people respond. I mean, like people, the way people respond to your music is a good indicator of like, um, what's, um, connecting more. And I do care about that. I want to connect, um, and, and spread the message of whatever it is whether it's be happy dance around or you know any issues or whatever yeah but I just feel I just feel like I kind of I'm having a lot more fun now too yeah it's it's good because it's like you know this is episode 70 of the podcast and you're only like the fourth woman I've had on and it's not that I'm bias towards male producers and the music they create but you know how it is when you when you signed up to an audio engineering course how many females were in that class one. One. That's insane. Forty. Oh, yeah. That must have been a huge departure, a huge transition from an all-girls high school, you know? Yeah. I mean, well, I, f- I first went to design school before audio, so that was kind of the middle ground. <laughs> so I, when I went to design school, it was it was mixed. We had maybe equal amount of guys and girls, and then um, I did three years of that and then went to audio school. I always kind of – I've been a bit of a tomboy most of my life and you know growing up with my brothers and guy cousins and stuff so I'm kind of gel well with guys and you know so that wasn't a huge dramatic change for me going to audio school but I did notice that it it is quite intimidating for young women who want to get into it and find it overwhelming but it's pretty crazy (laughs) and I think back now is, is is that you like on stage playing Rage Against the Machine? Oh my god! In high school, yeah. 
that was at Epsom Girls Grammar School, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. All right. So if you weren't the most popular girl in school after that, forget about it. <laughs> nah, I wasn't. I was like, I just got along with everyone. I wasn't, you know, we had the popular groups and the, you know, the different types of groups, but I just got along with everyone. It was, yeah. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, if that happened in the States, that would have rocked the house. The, the walls would have came off. Oh my God. I, I was just looking at all the teachers' faces and I was like, ooh, what are we doing? All they're like, everyone was just in shock. But um, yeah, I had these little year nine girls coming up to me. They're like, how do we scream? How do we do scream? I was like, you just scream. I don't know. <laughs> so like you're trying to find inspiration during this time. You're emailing underground rappers and talking to them. Is there anyone that we might know? Did you get some good advice? At the time I was, yeah, I was talking to um, this Persian girl rapper, uh, Sogand. She's amazing. Um, so I was talking to her a little bit and a bunch of other rappers who, who they're not out there, but they were just active a lot. Recently, I connected with um, Airfan. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's based in LA. Airfan is a massive voice for the Iranian community. <laughs> So he's he's killing it. He's doing really well. Um, so we did just a, um, recently did a song with him and for his new album, which is really awesome because I listened to him when I was like 13, 14. So. <laughs> Things have really come from like the Persian girl rappers group on Facebook. Now there's a bigger platform. Yeah, I mean, it's just nice to see everyone working together and and it's pretty crazy to be able to work with people I've looked up to. Well, what is the lacking quality that prevents underground artists who have to hide away because of their art? Do they not have courage? Is it lack of awareness? What do you have that they don't aside from talent for me i i feel like i'm i've just always been really hungry for it and i've always i'm quite stubborn and i just want to i don't really give up too easy i'm not saying that they give up but it's not everyone's cup of tea to do this not everyone wants to put themselves out there and be put in the spotlight and you know it's it's i feel like yeah not everyone wants that life so that might be the difference but they, I mean, they still want to stand up for freedom and reclaim their culture. Maybe they just don't have the megaphone big enough to do it. Definitely. It's hard if you're inside Iran, then you're right. They just, it's a bit of fear, a bit of um, uh, being shut down. As soon as you try to speak, you're kind of shut down. As soon as you're popular, you, you'll be noticed and you'll be told to stop continuing what you're doing. Um, so it's a lot harder, which kind of, it, it made me think, because I, I think I was about 15 years old and it made me think I was like, I want to be that, that voice because I can, because I'm not in, in Iran. Yeah, I see lots of messages about how your music can combat hatred, but hatred is an obsessive emotion that can include morbid jealousy and unreciprocated love and complicated grief. And all of these emotions are typically characterized by obsessive thinking and compulsive behavior. Hatred takes no days off. Love, on the other hand, does. So it's yeah. always an uphill battle at all times. It, oh, you've said it so well. <laughs> it definitely is. Um, it's pretty crazy with um, the... Because, you know, I don't know how much you know about the Iranian, um, how they receive music. Pretty much they don't 
um, have the same platforms as the rest of the world does, or most of the world. So in terms of, I was kind of like, how can I get my music heard? Because I really want to get the message out to them and be that kind of anthem or song that people can kind of stay hopeful with. And I just kind of put Digabessa out, put that song out, and and then I started getting all these messages from private messages on Instagram from people saying, "Oh, you know, where can we down? Uh, where can we um, download the video and all these things?" And I was just like, and I'd reply to them, and they'd be like, "Oh my god, you replied!" I found that really odd. I was like, "Why are they saying, oh my god, you replied?'" So then, um, after talking to quite a few people about it, they said that, um, well, through applications like WhatsApp and Instagram, oh, not Instagram, sorry, WhatsApp and uh, Telegram, they spread music that way. So that you download it and then spread it through through the taxi drivers or um, just word of mouth. So what had happened is the song had actually gotten to everyone, uh, like to people in Iran. And I was just like, wow, that's crazy. <laughs> he was like, one of the guys was like, oh, out of every... 10 cars you know half of them would be blasting your song out, out their car and that was the moment i was like shit that's crazy <laughs> it's crazy because i mean you just asked me like what do i know about iran and and music and i i think in the states iran has a bad rap and the fact that you felt safe while filming that music video there for almost three weeks for for us I think that 2019 was a tumultuous year there. There was a new wave of protests that swept through the region, yeah. challenging governments in Algeria, Iran, Iraq, Lebanon, Sudan. I think tension between Iran and Saudi Arabia rose to new levels, and the United States killed the leader of the Islamic State. But you weren't worried at all, and and you feel like, <laughs> you know, maybe if I wasn't a musician, I could do a document uh, documentary uh, about the, the realness that goes over there and, yeah. and combat the misconceptions that maybe people in the United States have about that country. Definitely. I just wanted to show a different perspective of the things we don't see. Cause obviously when we're watching the news, it's never good news. Right. So well, how else are we supposed to see that side of Middle East? Um, I didn't actually go to Iran to film the three videos. I went to Oman, which is right below Iran. There's about like a 30 minute boat ride or a half an hour flight to Iran obviously I knew how difficult it would have been to film in Iran so I chose Oman and people there were just so lovely um, my crew who are from New Zealand they said they felt the safest out of anywhere they'd been in Oman and that's kind of that's the statement right like that's got to say something <laughs> and, and I was wondering if like coronavirus was going to change things there because at the aftermath of the Christchurch shootings led to a sweeping reform of New Zealand's gun laws. So now there's a ban on semiotic we weapons and assault rifles. It seems like something bad has to happen for something for change to happen. So regarding like COVID-19 or coronavirus, Middle Eastern people and people of East Asian descent are underrepresented in many aspects of mainstream culture. Generally speaking, most aren't confrontational. They're not going to speak out as often as other ethnic groups. Do you think this crisis could become an eye-opener on mm. kind of what needs to change? I think definitely, yeah. You're, you're really right about that whole um, being not um, projected as much as other um, cultures and ethnicities. And, like, it makes me remind – it reminds me of when you just said about um, MIA having difficulties getting her stuff out there. I think that's, that's kind of – a, we just got to keep kind of going and, and inspire more 
parts of the world to kind of create art and and show that. But I think yeah, after coronavirus, a lot of things will be different around the world. Um, I think we've come together as a as everyone has come together for this virus. Do you view uh, cover up culture as restricting covering? Um. I think cover uh, covering what sorry yeah the cover up culture because uh, there's something I want because you keep asking me like you know what do I know about music in Iran and it's crazy because yeah. uh, just a few months ago uh, in a bold push for social liberties by young Saudis rebel Saudi women shunned that body cloak and they wore Western clothes in public but uh, oh, wow. in a in a regulation that seems to be arbitrarily enforced the saudi labor ministry says on its website that working women are expected to be modest and well covered and should not wear anything transparent however they will invite Nicki minaj who's known for twerking and raunchy (laughs) lyrics and then you know they allow that but then they tell their women to wear you know they cover up because it's not really about piety Mm. it's about control from my perspective it is a bit it's it's one-sided in Iran, I mean, Iran used to be like, I don't know, like, you know, 40 years ago, my parents' time, it was quite a free country. Like, you can cover up if you want. You don't have to if you don't want to. You can wear a mini skirt if you want. So it was quite free like that. And I see Iranian people is quite, um, and the women are quite strong and very, um, what do you call it? You know, they, they're, they're always used to being heard in the past. And suddenly something changes over the past 40 years. and. I feel like it's just not natural there. Like it's people want that freedom of whether they want to cover up or whether they don't want to cover up, but they, they kind of constantly are trying to fight for that. Yeah. I mean, for, for yeah. people in the West over here, I like the the music video for Digga Bossy and the music, the video is, is really great. And it's always good for people who don't travel whether they live in a bubble or sheltered to see another side of the world and the culture hmm. beyond though for what's ahead in 2020, can you disclose, like, even in in terms of all this uncertainty, what can you say about, like, what's ahead? Because I think Digabasi, the video, launched last year, but it seems that there was a whole new push for that video and that song this year. Yeah, definitely. Um, so last year, I just released it um, just randomly. You know, we put it on Facebook. And um, since then, we decided to kind of release it again and give it that proper official release, I guess. With that song, I just really wanted it to be about the music. So... I kind of kept myself out of it in terms of showing myself much in that. I don't show myself at all in that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I was just pretty blown away by the response on that. And what's to come is definitely still – I'm still keeping it quite, quite – uh, you know, it's very emotion-driven, most of my stuff, most of it visually and sonically. Um, but, yeah, there's some a lot of a lot of new stuff coming this year which I'm really excited about. So am I. And, you know, it was a pleasure to have you here. And I I think it's a crazy world where rap is something that has defined your career for well over a decade and you're passionate and it fuels you creatively. Yet the place you were born kind of deems it illegal in some territories. And I'm not sure if that makes you brave or it makes that country seem behind with the times, but either way, I'm I'm glad you're sticking with music. I wish you a fruitful 2020. (laughs) And as you continue to evolve as a producer an artist and a visionary i will i'll be on the sideline cheering you on oh my god thank you so much (laughs) this is super awesome